Hello, this is Peter Woolfolk. First, thank you for being a listener to this podcast. Now, I also want to ask that you also leave a review of this podcast. Reviews help me make adjustments to your preferences and your topics. Since most of my listeners download from Apple, leave your review on my podcast page there. Others can do the same wherever you get your podcast. Or you can go to podchaser.com. Then go to the public relations review page and leave a review. I would also appreciate your help and I look forward to hearing your thoughts about this podcast and getting your reviews. So thank you so very, very much. Welcome. This is the Public Relations Review Podcast, a program to discuss the many facets of public relations with seasoned professionals, educators, authors, and others. Now, here is your host, Peter Woolfolk. Welcome to the Public Relations Review Podcast and to our listeners all across America and around the world. Now, I'm very pleased to make this very special announcement that is, as of September 2023, Apple has ranked this podcast among the top 1% of podcasts worldwide. So I want to thank all of my guests for making this possible and to my audience for your continued support. Now, here's a question for you. Are you aware that millennials are reshaping business-to-business marketing as they move into leadership roles? Millennials influence has also extended from the product to the process of how these products are marketed and sold. My guest today will help us to understand what changes are taking place in B2B marketing and how we must adapt to keep pace. Frank Strong is a writer for The Sword and The Script. His article, Six Ways Millennials Are Reshaping B2B Marketing as They Move Into Leadership Roles, certainly got my attention. As a result, Frank joins me today from Atlanta, Georgia. Let me welcome Frank Strong. Hey, Peter. Thanks for having me. Look, uh, tell me, what was it that led you to write this particular article? Uh, I'm a voracious reader, so I read uh, B2, you know, 20, 30 articles about you know, B2B, marketing, PR, social media every day. And uh, I always like to keep an eye out for studies. And uh, this one struck me as a good one, so I dove into it and and wrote up uh, some of the things I thought were interesting for me and uh, hopefully for the people that I work with. Well, let's, let's talk about them. What to thought at the beginning? I think you, you said six items. What, call, what is the first one that you found that, that stood out? Just a quick background. So this is a, a survey by the Winterberry Group. They did it in partnership with the ANA. That's the Association of National Advertisers. They're, they're big on Madison Avenue. Uh, if you're in the advertising space, you've certainly heard of them. Uh, and one of the things I think this, this group was looking to do is just kind of quantify some of the generational shifts that we're seeing, right? So, you know, you, you know, when you think about the boomers, those are people that grew up at the end of World War II, Gen X, you know, in the 80s, uh, were the, you know, the latchkey kids, and the millennials were the next generation. And what makes them so different is they are um, the biggest generation since the baby boomers, and as the baby boomers retire, the millennials are moving into leadership positions, and that's having a, a big impact. So, you know, one of the first ones, uh, one of the first findings here was that 58% of B2B marketers that were surveyed said 
customers are spending more time researching products and services online before making purchases. That's not especially new per se. We've known this, you know, probably for the last 10 years. I think uh, Forrester Research wrote in 2012 or 14 or so that customers are, you know, 80 to 85 percent of the way through their journey before they even talk to a salesperson. So we know this is happening. All we know is that this is accelerating with this next generation. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I can certainly say that uh, that's one of the things that I do. I certainly look at reviews and so forth before I decide which product I'm, I'm going to buy. Yeah, 100%. That's, uh, that's actually the sixth one, too. Um, they're speaking generically here. Customers are looking. They're, do, they, you know, they're doing the research. They may be looking for studies, product sheets, you know, comparisons. Uh, if you have news coverage, right, uh, those uh, those are the audience that works in PR, you know, showcase that news. I'm continuously amazed at how many clients will spend a fortune getting coverage and then not showcase it when it's done. And in this fractured media environment, right, when, when I was a kid growing up, you turned on the television, there were three channels, ABC, NBC, and CBS. Mm-hmm. Today, they're, right, so the media landscape is very fractured. And what that means for earned media, the, the type of placements that PR can get, is that getting the placement uh, what you do with the placement is just as important as getting it in the first place. Because, yeah, you certainly did mention that social media has become increasingly important as a source of information for consumers. Yeah, that's right. That was the second one. Uh, the survey found 54% are looking at social media as increasingly important. And I think this runs contrary to a narrative that has unfolded of late that social media is dying or is changing or it's going away or somehow it's not relevant anymore. Some of that, I think, and this is just my personal opinion. I don't have any view, but as a, you know, uh, as a market watcher, if you will, I think some of this is yeah, a sense of negativity that has unfolded around Twitter following the, the Elon Musk acquisition. He's making a bunch of changes, and the, the number of people, the volume of people saying that social media is over has grown. The fact is the data says that's not true, mm-hmm. right? So you know, you've still got to keep, you still got to keep your social media channels going. And it's going to be increasingly important to you as uh, millennials move into leadership positions. That's certainly understandable. Now, what are some of the other things that you found as you uh, put this article together? Uh, they, so they had uh, a couple other points. Another one, all of these were close to 50%. So the, the third point was 51% said personalization is becoming increasingly important to media consumption for B2B. We know this is true, right? And it's got to move beyond having an email that can do dear name, you know, dear first name, dear Peter, dear Frank, or whoever your customer's first name is. Personalization is, has to be a, well, like a level of relevancy. You know, we talk about thought leadership. Let's let's demonstrate some thought leadership. Let's, let's do some things that show people really smart. And what this research is saying people want and need buyers of your products is they want to know you understand their industry their problem and how to solve the, the, that problem for people in their industry. So personalization has a level of relevance, if you will. Let's go to number four. Yeah, number four, 50% of customers now expect and are more likely to engage with brands that produce high quality and engaging content. So again, no brainer. People want high quality content. What's what's the problem with that? So the problem is high quality is a subjective term and quality can be in the eye of the holder. There's a little bit of concern about AI and whether or not it's going to replace writers. I, I don't see that happening at this point in time. You know, maybe in the near future this stuff's developing fast, but right now I think the things that are at threat are the low-quality writers, right? If you have low-quality content that you need 
written, AI can do that for you. If you're doing high-quality stuff, complex stuff, uh, that's typically associated with B2B, right? Long, you know, usually these things are complicated enterprise software. You, it takes time to articulate the sales value, to show case studies, demonstrate value, to build a case, to make a case for budget. Those require just a different level that I don't think AI is going to be able to replace, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Number, the fifth takeaway was 46% said customers are increasingly accessing content on mobile devices, right? And, you know, we know millennials are. They're the digital natives. They are the first generation that grew up completely digital, right? The, 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 the Generation X, we're kind of a hybrid generation. We had one foot in the analog world, and then uh, computers and things got big as we were in uh, high school and college. And if you were smart in high school, you took a typing class and found out that was the most valuable class you ever took. Folks are looking at stuff on their mobile device, and what does that mean for companies? We've known this for a while. Like desktop search in Google, Google says desktop search in Google surpassed, or mobile search surpassed desktop search in 2015. That was eight years ago. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that people are searching for content on mobile devices isn't new, but some of the things that need to catch up are the friction points we put in place. In B2B, we love our gated content. We want to trade valuable content, valuable information for somebody's contact information. And, uh, you know, if you're trying to do that on a mobile device, it's super frustrating. Chances are people are just going to skip you over. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, going, going back to number four, I think one of the things that, uh, that I do want to bring up, because you talked about quality, and quality is yeah. a subjective thing. So yeah. how are they going to be able to manage, or did the, did the survey reveal how that's going to be addressed? I guess I'd have two, two thoughts. One, just as an experienced writer, you, you kind of know it when you see it. Like, you can see good content, you can see bad content. And I think, you know, for, for folks in the PR shop, like, part of your job is to counsel clients, counsel executives, if you're on the in-house side, of, of what is good and what isn't, and, and demonstrate why. That's a, that's a little bit of a wishy-washy answer, if you will, so a better answer, or another one that should, should work in conjunction with that is to look at the analytics. Right? You have to be able to see analytics. You have to see what is attracting readers to a site, uh, to your site, what they're spending their time with, so how much, how much time they engage with that content, you know, and, and where they go afterwards. You've got to understand their journey on your site. Do they come to your page and read an article and leave? Do they come to your page and subscribe to your blog or article site? Do they come to your page? Are they a journalist? And start clicking around in the newsroom and sign up for your, your distribution list. Are they, you know, going over to a landing page and typing in their information and giving you that contact information because they want to download the white paper or they want to take a demo. So, I, you know, the answer to, to quality content is I think it comes with experience and you have to augment that with analytics mm -hmm. because you're going to have to base, you're going to have to articulate it in something other than, you know, my 20 years of experience, blah, blah, blah. People want to see data and that's where the analytics comes to play. Okay. Talking about peer reviews, so you, you, this is something that you said it's re reflective of your own personal experience. I think probably a lot of us have. Forty-four percent said peer reviews and user-generated content are playing a greater role in the purchasing decision-making uh, process. You know, it, look, a, a company is a commercial enterprise. It is going to act in its own interest. It is going to say things in its marketing and communications uh, that are, you know, flattering of itself mm -hmm. and want that unvarnished view, right? That's supposed to be public relations' biggest claim to fame is that, you know, the that something written by a third-party publication is, is more valuable because you, you heard your way into it. You were written on the merits of the idea 
rather than the, the, the amount of cash you have in your pocket that can spend on advertising. Um, so we know it's true. The only other thing I'd add there is with the user-generated content, you know, it's, it's been the Wild West. It's still the Wild Wild West. Anybody can go into any of these review fights. Trustpilot, Glassdoor, uh, Google Maps, and write reviews if you're a small business owner and can generate their own importance. What I will say is there's other research studies that show if you get a negative review, how your business responds to that negative review can have as much impact on the buyer's decision as the review itself. So how you respond to something has an impact on shaping people's perception. So uh, if you get a bad review, don't be upset about it, just address it. Take it, address it agnostically as uh, independently and objectively as you can without getting wrapped up and know that your response counts. People consider it. And honestly, there's, there's been other research studies that wasn't in this one here, but I've seen this numerous times. It's been replicated multiple times. If you have a site with all five-star reviews, people just don't believe it. They don't think it's credible. Nobody has five stars, right? Everybody gets two and threes every now and then, maybe a one. Mm-hmm. You can't make everybody. That's just a fact of life. Have you uh, noticed any industries that are sort of lagging in uh, getting involved in uh, in, in the in the B two B reviews at, at all? Yeah, uh, yeah. So to to answer your question, I haven't seen anyone lagging. I think the one of the biggest things is that when these review sites all started um, getting built up, they started to get what was also called intent data. So they have a website listing reviews from you know, thousands of different products, they can see what people are looking at and how much time they're spending with it. And, uh, you know, what are the features they're looking at? And then, oh, by the way, are they going over and looking at a competitive product on their site at the same time? So they can take that data and sell it. Right? I remember one of the first examples was a CMO that was like, heck yeah, I'll pay for that. If someone comes to my webinar, fills out my form, right? And uh, they're in my cycle, right? They're in my business cycle. They're in my database. I'm going to start, you know, trying to do some nurturing emails and get them interested in my product. Maybe they'll raise their hand and take a demo. But if I have a review site that can tell me when that prospect goes and looks at a customer data, or a competitive site, rather, I want that information right away. Trigger that. Send that to me right away. I'll get that to the salesperson. And then I'm going to send the salesperson to follow up within 24 hours. So that's just an example of how sophisticated that can be. And why I think those review sites have taken off because it's not just the review, but they they get data from those reviews and they're selling that back to the companies that are getting reviewed by customers. Now, That's ha- kind of a an answer. Hopefully that uh, gets to the to the point you're yeah, to the question you're asking. Okay. Now the the other thing, and I've heard it mentioned from time to time that there are, have been fake reviews detected. Have you run across how that's being addressed by uh, uh, the industries? Uh, you know, I think that's a classic uh, crisis situation, you know, for PR. It should become, become second nature is, you know, if there's a problem, fix it. If there's a problem uh, and it's taking a while to fix it, make sure you put out some notification about how you're addressing it. I think the review sites have gotten pretty good at policing um, reviews up. And one of the things that you'll notice they'll all do, and you can see this on commercial sites like Amazon, is they will uh, verify the purchase. So mm-hmm. when you see a review, you see the verified purchaser first. And I think, you know, it's not to say that it's not a problem, and some companies maybe get, get hit harder than others, but I think the industry's done a pretty good job of policing that up. Well, that that's good to hear. I'm just wondering if there's uh, anything additional that uh, maybe we haven't touched on in terms of, you know, how uh, B2B, uh, or I should say millennial influencing, 
is is involved in the in the sale and production and movement of product? Yeah, I, I think the only thing is no matter this study was about B two B, but I think you know, and and, I, and I'm I'm speaking primarily from technology experience, B two B tech experience, but I don't think it matters what industry you're in, right? We're all aging together. The generations are all shifting together. So any industry that you're in is going to see more and more millennials in leadership positions. I know this is true, for example, in law, right? Legal is a huge industry in the United States, depending on whose numbers you believe, anywhere between 100 and $300 billion trade hands around legal services in the U.S. every year. The U.S., not the world, just the U.S. So it's an enormous industry, and we know that law firms are increasingly just starting to see, you know, millennials break into the partner ranks. Um, so that's coming. And that's going to happen everywhere you are. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. Well, I think that, uh, you know, you certainly provided some good information here. And one of the reasons, obviously, that we're talking is because I saw it and I thought it was important that uh, our listeners hear about this and, uh, you know, make sure that they're, they're on board with uh, why these changes are taking place and how they might have to come to grips with them uh, in, in the near future. So let's say, do you have any sort of closing remarks that you think that uh, we should hear? No, I think yeah, I think that's just it. Is that uh, it doesn't matter what space you're in, everybody's gonna you know see this change. So keep your eyes open and uh, your ears listening for uh, for the changes in your space. Well, my guest today has been Frank Strong. He is a writer for the uh, script and sword, uh, or the sword and the script. And his article, Six Ways Millennials Are Reshaping uh, Business-to-Business Marketing, uh, has certainly opened my eyes to a lot of things that I was not aware of. And Frank, once again, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Peter. It's uh, fun talking to you. And to my listeners, I hope you've enjoyed the show. Obviously, if you have, or we'd like to get a review from you. And also share this with your colleagues. And again, please join us for the next edition of the Public Relations Review Podcast. This podcast is produced by Communication Strategies, an award-winning public relations and public affairs firm headquartered in Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you for joining us. Hi, this is Peter Woolfolk speaking. Now, first of all, thank you so very much for listening to the podcast. Now, I am very excited to let you know that the podcast is now available on Amazon Alexa. You know the drill. Simply say, Alexa, play Public Relations Review Podcast, and she'll take it from there. And again, thank you for listening. And if you enjoy the program, please become a subscriber. Now, on to the podcast.